Heavenly Father, because you sent your Son, Jesus, into the world to, uh, to speak to us exactly what you gave him to say, uh, we ask that now I would be faithful and speak exactly what you have given me to say in your word and that by your spirit we would trust and live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am a grumpy optimist. Uh, you might feel that optimists should be happy because they expect things to go well. But that's not always the way it works with optimists. The trouble with expecting things to go well is that if they don't go well, you're disappointed. So as an optimist, I probably live with more disappointments than pessimists do because they weren't expecting things to go well in the first place. Now, of course, some things really do go well. An example was our uh, women's Christmas event yesterday, which I heard was fantastic, and I saw some of the wreaths which people made, and it looks like that went really well. Uh, praise God, because uh, I had been praying that it would uh, go really well and people would have a great time. Uh, but uh, the, the grumpy optimist thing, it comes in for me particularly when it has to do with the work of the gospel and people becoming Christians. Because, you know, I look at the people I, that I know in the community and I think to myself, well, look, there's no good reason why that person shouldn't become a Christian. After all, they seem like a reasonable person and Christianity is such a reasonable thing to believe in. And I think to myself, look, I can explain it pretty well. I could answer their questions if they had any. There's absolutely no reason why that person should not become a Christian. In fact, I think to myself, there's no reason why everyone in Randwick should not be here on a Sunday morning. And can you see now why it can be tough for us optimists? Why does life have to be so tough for the optimistic gospel preacher? If Christianity is the truth, why hasn't the whole world embraced Jesus by now? That's the question. Jesus knew that we would have questions like this and his answers are given in the first four verses of today's passage from John's Gospel. Uh, this moment in John's Gospel is a significant one because it's the close of Jesus' public ministry. This is after the triumphal entry. It's less than a week before Jesus' death. And John has told us in verse 36, not printed for us, though it's in the Bible, of course, that after Jesus had spoken, he hid himself from them. He stepped out of the public eye. He's going to spend more time teaching his disciples in private, but he won't appear in public again now until his trial. So what we have here in John chapter 12 is the curtain falling on Jesus' public ministry. Three years of traveling and teaching and performing signs and wonders is coming to an end. So what's the assessment? What does Jesus have to show for this three years of work? The answer is verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still 
would not believe in him. That's the overall assessment. In spite of the positive indications when Jesus raised Lazarus and there was this great following that was on show at the triumphal entry, even though Jesus' opponents thought that the whole world was going after him, in actual fact, if you were looking for real faith, not flaky faith, but people who believe in Jesus for the right reasons and who have truly repented of their sins, there were not many. The overall response was rejection and hard-heartedness. They didn't believe in him. I think it's one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible, don't you? After all the signs, after the water to wine, feeding the 5,000, lame people miraculously walking, what more could he have done? But they didn't believe in him. God knew that it would be this way. John explains in verse 38 that Isaiah had foreseen this unbelief. Lord, who has believed our message? Isaiah 53 verse 1. It's even more sobering uh, to see that God didn't only foresee it, but actually God had blinded them from seeing. As John shows in verse 40 where he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Now you might wonder why God should do that. Why he should blind them from seeing the light of the gospel in his own son. But it's not as though God is sabotaging the work of his own gospel. The blinding is his punishment of those who have persistently ignored him. Like in Romans 1 where Paul explains that God gave them over to their own hard-heartedness and ignorance. He confirms them in an unbelief that they have already chosen. It's deeply sad, isn't it? But it also provides our answer to why the gospel doesn't sweep the whole world in a moment. It's that people really are that hard-hearted. And God confirms them in it. Think of what a terrible situation it is for everyone who is outside Christ, confirmed in their hard-heartedness. Our Archbishop Kanishka was once recently challenged in the media about how we as the Anglican Church are facing a problem as, uh, in society as the world is sort of moving away from us. His reply was, I'm not sure that it's a problem for us, but it's a big problem for society. See, that's it, isn't it? It is a terrible situation for those who are outside Christ. If that is the situation, doesn't this underline even more firmly just how desperately we need God to shine his face on us as a church and as a society, to shine his face on us in grace and turn hearts Pour his love into cold hearts by his spirit. 
And I want to show you that he will do that. I mean, he has done that because we're here, right? He will turn hearts. And with that in mind, I want to encourage and empower you to share the gospel. This is about sharing the gospel even in the face of hard-heartedness. I believe there are good reasons to do that. And from today's passage, I'm going to share just seven. Just seven reasons. The first is this. How can you and I not share the gospel when we have seen his glory? That's the point of verse 41. Isaiah, you see, had been warned that people would not listen to him, but he had seen God's glory. He couldn't stay silent because if you see something glorious, how can you help but talk about it? You know, you're lucky because you're getting cricket illustrations two weeks in a row. After Australia won the Cricket World Cup last week, I met my friend on a Monday morning. He's also a cricket fan. Having seen the previous night's game of cricket, which was glorious, wasn't it natural that we were going to talk about it? Wouldn't it have been unnatural if we'd said nothing? A genuine encounter with glory makes it impossible to stay silent. Haven't you had a genuine encounter with glory? As, as, as the, the Lord Jesus leaps off the page to you and into your heart by his spirit. How can we not speak about Jesus when through the spirit we have seen his glory? Well, there's the first reason to share the gospel. Second, second of all, because people know it's true even if they're afraid to admit it. John explains to us in verse 42 that there were actually plenty of people who believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't admit it because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. Now, the same thing is true today, isn't it? Plenty of people know in their heart that Jesus is the Lord, or at least they realise that there is something in this Christianity thing which deserves investigating. But they're hanging back, either because they're worried that what people will think or because it's too difficult in some other way. A previous student minister of ours, Nigel, who most of you will remember, told me a story of a young man he was ministering to in a school context. Nigel had been explaining to him the good reasons to believe in Jesus. And Nigel must have been a good job, must have been doing a good job because the boy said, yes, I can see it's probably true. And so Nigel said, great, so you're going to become a Christian then? No, said the boy, because I just really like sleeping with my girlfriend. See, you'd never believe that humans could be so short-sighted and inconsistent as that, would you? Except, of course, if you'd met a human. We are as inconsistent and short-sighted as that, aren't we? We don't always act in keeping with what we know to be true. Lots of people know in their heart that Jesus is the Lord. 
They're just afraid to admit it. This is another reason why we should speak up and share the gospel. Because maybe it will help others to be brave and live consistently with what they know to be true. Here's the third reason. Because the message of the gospel comes direct from God the Father. Jesus says in verse 44, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. He is claiming to bring a message which is directly from God. Jesus didn't change it along the way. He only passed on what he received. We should also pass on to others what we have received. If we change the message which we received, one thing is for certain. It won't be a message from God. It will be our ideas. But if we pass on what we receive from Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the Bible then we are giving people access to the very words of God. And isn't it kind to give people access to the very words of God? Here's the fourth reason why we should share the gospel in the face of hard-heartedness. Jesus has been straight with us. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus says in verse 50. He hasn't sugar-coated anything. He's let us know that the devil is real. He's told us that there is a judgment and that God will punish sin after we die. He's even been straight with us about God's choice that a person can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Now, some of these things are extremely hard. But would you rather he sugar-coat it Or would you rather he be straight with us? I'm glad that Jesus has been straight with us. You've probably heard me speak before about the gospel tract I read when I was eight years old, which made it clear to me that I would face the punishment of God if I, uh, unless I sought the forgiveness of sin that was available through Jesus' death. I am so glad that somebody told it straight enough for an eight-year-old. Aren't you glad that Jesus has been straight with you? We should be straight with others about the gospel. Fifth reason, because Jesus came to save the world. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He says in verse 47. Judgment is the tragic result for those who reject the salvation, but it's not the reason Jesus came. He came to save. So because saving is Jesus' purpose, we ought to share the message. The saving purpose also dictates the manner in which we share the gospel. It has to be spoken in a way which is loving which displays care for the person who is hearing us. It usually needs to be accompanied by some practical demonstration of care. 
We have to show people how much we care. We have to go the extra mile so they will know how desperately we want them to believe in Jesus so they can receive the same life that we've received. The sixth reason to share the gospel is it's people's only hope. Verse 48. This verse explains that the person who rejects Jesus is going to be condemned at the last day. That's what it says, isn't it? It's not an isolated verse. The fact that Jesus is the only way to God, it's on every page of John's gospel, isn't it? Jesus is our only hope. So for those who haven't, if people haven't heard about him, how could we hold back the message about their only hope? This brings me to the seventh and the final reason why we should share the gospel in the face of people's hard-heartedness. Because amidst the general rejection, some will believe. Back in chapter 1, John wrote about the tragedy of this general rejection. Chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came to those who were his own, and his own did not receive him. There's the tragedy of the hard-heartedness. But you see, John goes on there in chapter 1 to verse 12, where he writes, Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Amidst the general rejection, there were those who believed and they were made children of God and they were saved forever. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, there are those who will believe. Jesus is determined that there will be those who believe and nothing can prevent them from God bringing them in. So our work of sharing the gospel is not going to be in vain. My aim today is that in spite of people's hard-heartedness, we will feel empowered to share the gospel of Jesus. That is that we'll pray for people, we will let them know that we're Christians We'll share something about the way Christ impacts our life. We'll help them understand a bit more about Christianity than they currently do. And when the time is right, we'll invite them to church and we might even have a conversation in which we let them know the basic outline of the Christian message and that it's for them too. I hope you'll feel empowered to do that. And we should do it not as the grumpy optimist, but as a prayerful pessimist. That is, we know that people generally reject the gospel. It's a hard and troubling fact, and we we should not get calloused about it, but the hard-heartedness of sin is real. But we can be prayerful because we know that some will believe Because God is determined that they will. And so being prayerful, let's also go out into the world and share Jesus with maximum clarity and maximum love. 
Because after all, Jesus came to save the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it. So, Heavenly Father, knowing that you are the Lord, please help us to go out into the world and to share Jesus with people with maximum clarity and maximum love. And we ask, please, that we would see fruit from this work.